Welcome to Law Technology Now with attorney Monica Bay, editor-in-chief of ALM's award-winning law technology news magazine and website. Here's the latest hot topic in the intersection of law and technology. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hi, I'm Monica Bay, editor-in-chief of Law Technology News. Welcome to the June edition of Law Technology Now. It's a pleasure to be here. And I have a fabulous guest for you today. Uh, in fact, I kind of feel like I've been on the Roland Vogel bandwagon. We, we both were just at Legal Tech West Coast in Los Angeles. And Roland, you've been doing conference after conference after conference. So let's start off, please, by having you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and how you ended up in your job at Stanford Law School. Oh, that's a good question. Well, thank, thank you very much for having me. So uh, I am a transplant from uh, from Europe, from Austria originally. I came here uh, in uh, 1999 as a master's student at uh, Stanford Law School. Uh, after that, um, practiced for a little while with uh, Fenwick and West uh, in uh, uh, trademark law and copyright law, and then came back to the law school as the first first uh, teaching fellow uh, for the new LLM program in law science and technology that that we started. And then uh, a few years, uh, or actually a couple of months into that job, I was uh, made uh, executive director of the overarching uh, program in law science and technology. That's a, that's an academic umbrella program uh, that has a number of different constituent centers that look into different aspects of law and technology, uh, from the Center for Internet and Society, Center for Law and the Biosciences, the Transatlantic Technology Law Forum. And uh, and then a couple of years later, we started a center, uh, joint center with a computer science department, uh, which is Codex, the Stanford Center for Legal Informatics, and and that has the mission to you know bring information technology to the legal system and make it more efficient for uh, all its stakeholders and and not just for for the legal profession. And uh, yeah, and I, I became uh, executive director of that of that center a couple of years later. And Roland, you are our cover boy of our June edition of Law Technology News Magazine, which we wrote uh, about the Center for Legal Informatics, which aka Codex, I'm going to ask you why you came up with that, by our one of our favorite freelancers, Tam Harbert. And uh, this was not the first time that Tam wrote about Silicon Valley, because she wrote about two years ago about Daniel um, uh, uh, Martin Katz, who surprise, surprise, was on a recent program that you just had. Tell us a little about, about what is Codex and what was the conference that you held uh, in Silicon Valley and the talk you gave uh, uh, recently at Legal Tech West Coast. Right. So, uh, so yeah, Codex, uh, we came up with the name Codex as in, uh, you know, legal code as well as computer code and the intersection of that. And uh, really, you know, um, I think we're one of the Few centers that uh, that are really um, you know ha- you know have both uh, uh, computer scientists um, working on legal information problems as well as as, as lawyers and uh, again you know our, our mission is uh, making the legal system more efficient our, our our motto is you know legal empowerment through information technology uh, we have a particular focus which uh, is what we call computational law and what we mean by that is um, you're basically building systems where computers can understand legal meaning and actually make legal decisions, uh, and and basically you know use sort of exp- explicit representation of of legal concepts in computable form, so that 
computers can actually engage in this, uh, you know, understand the legal meaning and engage in legal decision making. Uh, sometimes, you know, one application of, of this computational law is what we call embedded law. And what we mean by that is bringing sort of the legal information as, close, as closely as possible to the human decision making. Now, one of the things that you become very, uh, 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 as Tam called it in her article, a vortex or a hotbed, is this, this group has been developing some legal startups. And right. the one I'd like to ask you specifically about that, that kicks into what you've just been saying is a startup called Lex Machina. And would you tell our readers a little bit about what that is and how it works? So Lex Machina really started out um, as an idea of uh, Professor Mark Lemley, who is one of the leading uh, patent scholars, uh, and uh, not just patent, but IP scholars, I should say. And, uh, and he was kind of, he's an empirical legal scholar, and he was kind of frustrated with, you know, what he called uh, the weather uh, forecast approach to to, to what's going on in, in the IP system. And he wanted to, to have, you know, a, a more kind of a scientific approach and, and, and uh, create, you know, a, a, a database that tracks uh, all of uh, all, all IP litigation, you know, starting out with, with patent litigation and basically tracking uh, not just the final decision, but all uh, sort of relevant factors uh, in, uh, in an IP litigation, you know, all the motions that are exchanged, you know, the, the parties, the, the lawyers representing the parties, the judges deciding, the district where the, the, the litigation is taking place. And so just enabling, you know, a very, very deep kind of uh, an, an analytics on, uh, on what's going on in the patent system. And now, I understand that, that you would, uh, that this is a product that is sold to practicing lawyers and corporate counsel, right. but is free to the government and free to, the, um, to students and researchers. That's right. Give me an example of, of how a law firm, uh, perhaps in trial, might turn to Lex Machina to help it, help it analyze their case. That's right. So, so yeah, so Lex, Lex Machina uh, originally started out when we had it here at Stanford uh, as a project here at Stanford. It's called the Intellectual Property Litigation Clearinghouse. So in some years of building that database, we, you know, realized, you know, there's a, a demand for this, you know, but we need, you know, we couldn't sort of, you know, have uh, support this demand just with the resources we had at, at the law school. Um, you know, and having sort of uh, fellows here and, stu and students kind of work on the database. So we decided to spin it out and make, you know, build a company named Lex Machina that, that will support and provide that service to uh, this database to law firms and, and, uh, and uh, companies, uh, in-house departments. And so the way uh, a law firm would use it is, uh, you know, you could see, you know, it's basically, you know, what they, they their tagline is, you know, money ball for for the legal system, and you could see in a case what your uh, kind of opposing parties, um, uh, you know, what their, you know, what lawyers, what what kind of track record they have in 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 certain uh, IP cases. You could see what the judge, uh, you know, what what how how the judge has ruled and at what level. I mean, they have very kind of deep analytics. You could see. If if the judge had a hearing, 
a, a live uh, hearing uh, before a certain stage in the trial, or he didn't, and you know they they sort of identified you know certain judges as outliers. You know, typically I'm not an, an, a patent litigation expert, but from what I understand, you know it's you know most of the judges they you know have a live hearing I think uh, before uh, certain 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 motions, and they identified one judge who who doesn't, and you know that's just an you know example for how law, uh, law firms. So it sort of sounds like in baseball how a uh the teams would, if they were trying to choose a player, they would look at the data that they had, everything from runs batted in to to strikeout rates, et cetera, to get a sense of the player. And in the same sense, as you use the money ball analogy, you could take a, you could, I assume you could slice and dice the data and say, let's see what happened if the case, if it was a, you know, patent case involving widgets and it went before Judge uh, A how that judge had, you could analyze and figure out what the judge had done in those sorts of situations or what typically had happened. Is that, am I getting exactly. the concept right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And also, uh, you could sort of uh, see what your peers are doing. You could see um, how your peer companies in uh, patent litigation cases, you know, at, at what stage they, they settle and, and how are you faring in comparison with your peers. And um, also, you know, some you know, some, from what I understand, some some large uh, tech companies have have used the database to to validate if their approach to to dealing with patent trolls is is the the best approach, right? It's like, is there a strategy of like never ever kind of taking a license? Is that really the optimal approach? And so you could do these kinds of uh, analytics with. Um, you know, with this with this resource, and uh, and it's quite impressive resource that more and more firms and companies are using. Now, you just uh, uh, the the company just won a significant. Um, I guess one is not the right term for this, but just went into a new round of funding, and I believe it was four point eight million. Tell us a little bit about that and what they're going to do with the new money. So from from so this was their. Um, B round of, of uh, funding, and uh, and I uh, I believe it's um, a fund from from the, from a New York uh, VC fund that that invested, and uh, I think their main uh, goal is to to just enlarge their sales team because there's a tremendous amount of demand they have to meet, and um, and they I think they also will add more more uh, folks on the engineering. Side of things. Yeah, so I that, love the name my, of the main. The main investor was uh, Q-Ball Capital. It's a great name for a company. And uh, right. Jerry Yang, who was a co-founder of Yahoo, uh, uh, right. coughed in some money too. Pretty cool. That's right. Now we we're going to take a quick break to catch a quick word from our sponsor, and then we'll be right back with a more discussion of what's going on at Codex and some of the other uh, wonderful startups that have gone. We'll be right back. Does your law firm need an investigator for a background check, civil investigation, or other type of investigation? PINow.com is a one-of-a-kind resource for locating investigators anywhere in the U.S. and worldwide. The professionals listed on PINow understand the legal constraints of an investigation, are up-to-date on the latest technology, 
and have extensive experience in many types of investigation, including workers' compensation and surveillance. Find a pre-screened private investigator today. Visit www.pinow.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial play in this podcast. Just send us an email at advertising at legaltalknetwork.com. And we're back. My guest today is Roland, Roland Vogel, Executive Director of Stanford Law School Center for Legal Informa- Informatics. I'll get it right yet. Uh, affectionately known as Codex. Uh, we were talking about the success of Lex Machina, and there are several other rather prominent startups that have grown very quickly in your incubator. Tell us about a couple more of them. Sure. Uh, so, uh, so, you know, there's a few startups that were created by um, folks, uh, uh, Stanford Law School uh, students uh, that were spun out uh, in the last couple of years. Two examples would be, you know, Ravel. Uh, Revel Law um, and uh, Judicata. Those are both new kind of legal search uh, systems that can uh, sort of provide a more provide more nuance to your search uh, and and allow you to find you know sort of the relevant information in a faster way than you know sort of the the you know the the big vendor uh, uh, search systems uh, can, you know, Westlaw and Lexis, uh, uh, most no- notably. Would people use this as a uh, as a complement to Lexis or West research tools, or would it be an alternative? Or what's the vision of the of of the company on that? So, uh, so that's a good question. I I think that um, I think the founders are probably assuming that uh, most lawyers would probably at least initially use it as a complement uh, to the existing databases. But the more uh, assured uh, the users are that the, the data set, you know, the database is as comprehensive as what Westlaw and Nexus uh, can, can provide, then, you know, they might actually become uh, alternative. An alternative? Yeah. And let's switch gears for a moment because we are running out of time. And could you tell us a little bit about your first future law conference and what your plans are for the future for that? Pardon the pun. So, so yeah, we had um, the the first uh, Codex Future Law Conference uh, on April 26th and we're thrilled to see, you know, a, a great turnout. We almost had 300 people come to the conference. And uh, we're basically, you know, asking questions as, you know, how we know there's a ma- major uh, disruption uh, happening and a big transformation that the legal system's going through. And we were asking the question, you know, what do we as, as technologists interested in building a better legal system, how should that better legal system look like? And you know what sort of values and uh, do we have to keep in mind as we build this this uh, better legal system? And so, so we had a really amazing group of uh, speakers. Um, you know, the founders of you know Rocket Lawyer and LegalZoom and and uh, Justia and you know all the all those really cool legal tech companies were on the panels and uh, and 
you know, very, very impressive audience too. So the, the, the sort of the exchanges we saw between the panels and the audience were really very informative. There was, you know, a lot of talk about sort of this paradox we see in the market uh, where we have a large number of people with legal needs who actually can't uh, afford access to the legal system. And at the same time, we have lawyers uh, who don't have enough business and, you know, uh, recent graduates of law schools who, uh, who can't find, find jobs. And, and so, you know, there's a lot of talk about how technology can, can help here. But, uh, you know, we talked about, you know, designing uh, legal information systems. Uh, we talked about the question whether, you know, lawyers are pricing themselves out of the market and, you know, and how can technology help them be more efficient? and provide legal services uh, to more people at a, you know, more affordable price. We talked a little bit about, you know, the, the, the power shift from lawyers to clients that was brought about by the, by the big recession. And, you know, the fact that, that general counsels, uh, you know, sort of they put more scrutiny on bills, uh, there's sort of less loyalty to the, to the firms that they've, they've been using. Um, and we talked, you know, about the, the new business models we're seeing, and we talked about also some of the new technology trends we're seeing. Well, definitely so, a very busy agenda on that. And we are running out of time. I want to let the readers know that if you'd like to read more about what uh, Roland Vogel and his colleagues at the Stanford Law School are doing, you can catch the June edition of Law Technology News. The website is www.lawtechnews.com. We also have covered... Um, the event, and Mark Michaels did a wonderful article, which you'll also find in that issue. Uh, we are very interested, Roland, in what you are doing. And my final very quick question is, if someone wanted to reach out to you and find out more about what's going on at Stanford, aside from reading our articles, how do they reach you? Right. So um, my email is rvogl at codex.stanford.edu. And our website is codex.stanford.edu. And you can find, uh, you know, you can find a lot of information about the work that our uh, fellows are doing on their uh, various projects. And, you know, I'm always excited to, uh, you know, to talk to people about, you know, their particular ideas for how, you know, technology can help uh, build a better legal system. Roland, thank you so much. It was a, a terrific uh, conversation. And I'm sure we'll hear a lot more about what's going on at Stanford Law. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Some housekeeping items. Again, to remind you that you can find uh, our podcast at www.lawtechnologynow.com, at www.legaltalknetwork.com. And of course, because we're so hip, we're on iTunes. Uh, shout outs to my wonderful producer in New York, Charles Garner. To my boss, David Brown, Vice President and Editor-in-Chief here at New York for ALM. In Los Angeles, Adam Camera, CEO and President of Logical. And in Denver, where I hope it's finally stopped snowing, Amy Thompson and James Palmer, their producers in the Mile High City. Also want to thank Tam Harbert, who wrote our cover story about the Silicon Startups in the June issue of Law Technology News. And my final reminder is, don't forget, there's no crying in baseball or technology. And we'll see you in July for the next issue of Law Technology Now. 
Thanks for listening to Law Technology Now, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join Monica Bay for our next podcast covering the technology issues affecting the legal profession. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.